0: Welcome to the Family Worship Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy the following message from Pastor Ray Kirkland. Your weekend. Amen. Wow, we have a lot of things happening, don't we? It's exciting all that God's doing. It really, really is. I want to start off this morning as we begin this message uh, we're going to honor mothers today, single mothers especially is what we're targeting. But I want to talk to everybody for a little while, and some portion of the sermon it will minister to you. I want to start off with a statement that, that is from a biblical standpoint, and you just can't deny it. Listen to the statement. God offers his promises of joy, of peace and satisfaction to anyone, whether you're married or unmarried, whoever it is that has a relationship with him. Now, you can't deny that. How many of you believe God offers joy, peace, and satisfaction to anyone? You believe that? You you, you can't deny that. But then, honestly, if you take a look at that as a single person, it might not resonate the same. Because sometimes you don't feel that joy, or you don't feel that satisfaction. You're not quite sure you feel fulfilled, and those, those words have sometimes a little bit different meaning to a single person. In fact, as I was in uh, study just recently. It, it's, they say that Americans, that, that 95% of unmarried American uh, people deeply desire to be married. They don't want to remain single. They don't feel satisfied. Americans still love marriage. And so as I was reading that and studying that, I, I began to realize that there's, there's a lot of reasons that people want to be married. They just don't like being single. They want to be married. And here's some of the reasons that the experts give. The number one reason is that people want to get married is because of peer pressure. They actually don't want to feel that there's something wrong with them. What's wrong with me? How come no man will come by and pick me up? How come no girl thinks I'm good enough? And so there's, they feel something's wrong with them, and so it causes them to desire marriage. Another reason is to have children. Another reason is just to get out of mom and dad's home. Get out of, get out of that parental home. Another reason is because they want a father for or a mother for their children. Another reason, is, believe it or not, is to further their career. They get married to further their career. Some get married to get even with an old lover. Another reason is just some people just do it for sex. And others do it because there's a hole in their heart and they just don't want to be alone. Can I say something to you today? There are millions of desperately lonely Married people. Now, you can actually be in a relationship, a genuine married relationship, and have genuine intimacy and a wonderful relationship and still feel lonely. What happened? Did you marry the wrong person? What's going on? Why do you feel lonely when you shouldn't feel that way? Well, I think that perhaps it's because God created us to yearn for two different levels of intimate relational relationships, okay? The number one is just, or number one level, we'll call it, is a deep, honest, trusting relationship with a friend or a marriage partner. We just, we yearn for, an on, uh, yearn for an honest, deep relationship. The number two reason is we want an authentic, growing relationship with God. It's put inside of us. Every man searches for a God. You can go to the deepest, darkest jungles, and they'll make gods out of anything because there's a yearning in their heart for an intimate relationship with God. Now, most unmarried people are very conscious of the number one problem there, the number one reason. They, they want that deep earnest. But the number two reason, the intimacy with God, sometimes gets pushed to the back burner. And they don't really pay much attention to that. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11:28: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So many people are driven by restlessness in their souls. They're driven by something inside. It pushes them. And so they'll push themselves into relationships to prove that they can have accomplishments. And they can have numerous pursuits of relationship. Somehow it makes them feel that they have a value. They'll push themselves because they're restless. Can I tell you that there's not a friend or a marriage spouse anywhere in the world that can offer you soul satisfaction? S-O-U-L. Only Christ can offer soul satisfaction, my friend. You cannot get that from another human being. John 14:27 says, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid." Now no spouse in the world can, can say that. No spouse in the world can say, "I give my peace to you, don't be troubled." It it doesn't work. The honeymoon doesn't last forever. Life goes on. Things happen in our lives. Only Jesus Christ can offer us a, a, a calm, quiet spirit. Only Jesus Christ can offer us a fulfillment within. And so whenever you try to place that expectation on another person, it's unfair. Amen. Your spouse is not your life preserver. You're going to have to say amen to me every once in a while. I'm to have to stop and really preach to you. Your spouses, whenever you hear somebody say, oh, baby, I just can't live without you, danger signs. If they can't live without you, they're expecting you to be their Messiah. It's placing an unrealistic expectation upon you. Oh, at first it sounds really good. Oh, they can't live without me. The truth is that's going to be a real bummer pretty soon because you're just not Jesus. We live in a world filled with broken homes, with broken lives. We, feel, we live in a world where there's shattered homes because of alcoholism and drug addiction and perversions and divorce and abuse of all kinds. And so what happens is consciously, people, wounded people, look for a spouse to fill that gap because they, they don't want to be that way. They, they want that But that's consciously. But here's what's really happening. Unconsciously, wounded people are looking for healers. Consciously, they're looking for somebody to fill the gap. Unconsciously, they're looking for somebody to heal them. And they believe in the marriage myth that marriage will heal my brokenness. Marriage will heal my loneliness. Just like later they believe, well, that didn't work, so let's add children to it. And somehow they think that this will fulfill this need. It will, it will fulfill something inside of them. Now listen, somewhere in your life you've got to become ruthlessly, ruthlessly honest about your brokenness. You have to become very, very transparent with yourself. Sometime, somewhere along the line, you need to look in the mirror, and you have to decide, are you drowning on the inside? Are you going down on the inside? Are you carrying disappointments and hurts from, 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 uh, from a, 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 something that you need to hear from a spouse that you're not hearing, or something that happened in your past or do you still have issues today that resolve, uh, revolve around your past, that revolve around some wound, and so now you've got this issue and now you're trying to enter into a new relationship? Do you harbor hurts on the inside from something that was dysfunctional in your life? An ex-lover, uh, an ex-spouse, an ex, an, uh, the, your, your family, whatever it was. If there's a dysfunction in your life and you harbor all of that stuff, if you answered yes to any of that, can I tell you something? Don't date anybody for a while. And do not get married. Not for a while. Put it on the back burner for a while. Deal with your brokenness first. That person that you're wanting to marry, that person you're wanting to date, they cannot heal that hole that's inside of you. And you're going to put something into that relationship that's going to become damaging and wounding into your heart and into their hearts. You're You're making them your healer. And Christ is the healer. Amen. So you have to be careful that, that, that when you're feeling those things, you feel like something's missing on the inside. Then prioritize that. Go to Christ, the healer. Find in the Word of God what it is that you need so that you can get yourself whole. You need to be whole before you date and especially before you marry. Amen. Somebody say Amen. Now for those of you that are in the dating game today, single moms, single guys even, When you go out on a date, take off the blinders. Amen. I used to swoon them with brute Fabergé. (laughs) You can tell how old I am. (laughs) I make that stuff. It smells like toilet water today. (laughs) Get past all the fancy smells, get past all the fancy looks, and you got to start looking below the surface just a little bit. Look at who you are dating. What baggage are they... Ca- we all carry baggage. Good and bad. Everybody, especially when you get to be my age, I got like a boatload of it behind me. Okay, we all carry it. So, so if they're carrying baggage, what excuses are they making so that you don't see it? Go to their house and look at their mama and their daddy. Because you're marrying the whole crowd. You get the whole clan, my friend. You get it all. You get wild Uncle Freddy. You get them all. So take a real look. Don't, don't just look across the table at her sparkling eyes. Go home and look at her mama's demon eyes. <laughs> you look into her mama's eyes. Is there somebody else looking out? <laughs> What unfinished business do you have in your own life? Are you making that person your life preserver? Are they going to save you? Are they going to lift you up and help you? Are they your healer? Do not make another person the object of your miracle. Amen. Marriage is not a ticket to happiness. Not on your life. I'm telling you, just because you get married does not mean you're going to be happy. Amen. Just because you have a wedding doesn't mean you have a home. Just because you have a house doesn't mean you have a home. Marriage can be wonderful. There's no doubt about it. It can be awesome. But anytime you see an awesome and a wonderful marriage, it is because both partners have paid a high price over many years to get that. It doesn't just come because you said, I do, and walked an aisle. No, you're still in, in, fact, you're still on a cloud somewhere in La La Land. But when the cloud comes down to the earth and you feel the stickers on your feet, you're gonna find the people that have a wonderful marriages have died a thousand times to selflessness. A thousand times they've died to selflessness because that's what creates an environment. Now, let me tell you this in the auto industry, If you go down to buy a new car today at any car lot, any car dealer that's smart has told his salesman that there is a 48-hour window that's a car buyer's purchasing window. It's called the buying mood. The buying mood. Because when a person walks on the first lot, whichever lot it might be, they might go to four or five lots. Once they walk onto the first lot, they're committing themselves to look for a car. They want to buy a car, truck, or whatever it is. And did you know that most people will buy within the first 48 hours of walking onto a lot? Most everybody will do it. That's why the car salesmen and the show, they have their showrooms seductively placing their best cars out there for you to see. Because they know that you're going to get the buyer's mood and they've got 48 hours to get a sale on you. So what they do is they take you around and they show you all the stuff and they try to get you fixated. Everybody say fixated. Fixated on a single feature of a car. Perhaps, ooh, I like this dashboard. Ooh, look at these leather seats. woo I can just ooh, look, look I slide on them. Ooh, listen to the sound. They, maybe it's you like the sound system. It's some bell or whistle, so that you're addicted to that car. Now you may go to another lot, but now you're all you're looking for is let me see how their sound system is. Let me see how their sound system. See, they sell you on a fixation. It's called the buyer's mood. And so very seldom do people actually read the consumer reports, go home and study and analyze the the records of, of auto repair on that car. All they care about is they want to get that car by this weekend because they have somewhere special to go. It's true. It's called the buyer's mood. And now the problem with the buyer's mood is two to three months, maybe two to three weeks later, the new smell wears off and the bills roll in. All of a sudden, you realize, wow, that's how much I have to pay for insurance. And you're shocked at what you've done. And so suddenly, this thing called buyer's remorse begins to set in. It's true. Real estate's the same way. Anybody that's in the real estate business knows there's a buyer's window. And so what once a person gets fixated on a home, you've got about a day, maybe two days, to get them to sign the line. Now, once they make an offer on the house... Even if the house price goes up, they'll stick with it because they made an offer. Amen. Because they're fixated with the house. They'll go ahead and, and ride the increase a little bit. And so they'll do that with a house. So any salesman, real estate man knows that. Well, now the, the unfortunate thing is there's called a thing called the marrying mood. And when you get in the marrying mood, it causes what I call temporary insanity. You get fixated on something, that curve, that muscle, that jawline, that cool beard, whatever it is, those twinkling eyes, whatever it is, that, that you know, that, whatever it is, you get fixated on it, and now all of a sudden, it sabotages normally clear-thinking people's minds, and that's all they can think about. They go home at night, they lay in bed, that's all they can think about. It's on them all day long. They're sabotaged. Single people are not the most miserable people in the world. They are not. Married people who realize they're in a marriage they shouldn't be in are. Amen. See, with a car, you can trade it in. With a house, you can sell it. With a marriage, there comes soul ties. There comes deep spiritual things. And when you try to get out of it, it rips and tears. And the ones that get hurt are the children. The children are deeply affected by your marrying mood. King David had an indiscretion one day. He got in the mood for a girl by the name of Bathsheba. And someday I want to preach to you about Bathsheba because we've badly given, given her a bad rap. I'm going, to t- I'm going to teach you how holy and righteous that woman was one day and how she got stuck in the middle of something that was ugly. But in the middle of all that, it produced a loved child. This child comes out inappropriately conceived but deeply loved. The baby was born and David loved the baby. Bathsheba loved the baby. But something horrible began to happen and the baby was dying. And David, the Bible says, goes into ashes and sackcloth and he's praying and he's, he's asking for mercy and his child is in the grips of icy death and he's asking God to help. And then the baby is squirming and hurting and pretty soon the baby quits squirming, quits hurting, silence fills the tent, and the child has gone home to be with its Lord. And there's David. David later writes these words, Psalms 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the room, womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. David compared children to arrows. Perhaps it's because of the child's potential to be propelled into the future. Maybe that's why he said that, but, but one thing I know Is we need to be praying for the arrows of this generation. Because so many of our homes and our systems and our all the systems around us are aiming children at the wrong targets. And children are being aimed into things that are hurting them and detrimental to them and and, and perverse and, and demonic, and these children are being fired into a life. And I'm the guy that sits in my office across the desk from broken arrows. There they sit. Their, their lips are quivering because they've been broken in the quiver. They're trying to tell me the unmentionable secrets of their lives. To them, it's it's heartrending. To me, it's heartrending. They're like a rosebud that's been crushed. There they sit, be hiding behind their jewelry, hiding behind their cocked hat sideways, trying to be cool, trying to be something. There they sit, hurting, broken arrows, broken down. Now society calls them victims. Society calls them statistics. The Bible calls them broken arrows. Broken, splintered arrows come in all colors, all shapes, and all forms. Arrows come black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor. Amen. They come from all sizes, everywhere. Can I tell you something? Pain is not prejudiced. Pain is not prejudiced like fruit. They are like they're like a, a, a fruit that's been peeled too soon. It's damaging to uncover what God wanted covered. It's like trying to repeal a banana that's already been peeled. That child was not formed, it was not ready yet and it was sent out, fired out at life by its parents because of their decisions. Mark 10:27 says, "But Jesus looked at them and said, With men, it's impossible. It's impossible to fix these children. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. Somebody say amen. I want to take just this moment, just for a second, and I want to salute the wonderful people that work with our children in the back and with our children upstairs. You are builders of our future. I believe that the children, the teens ministry is the most important ministry in this church because we're building into our future. And Jesus himself took time to minister to the children because he knew that they were being fired at wrong targets and things were happening in their lives and he ministered to them. Listen to what he said. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. He touched them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased with those disciples. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up on his arms, and his arms laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Can I tell you the interesting thing about that text? Is that text is spoken Right at the end, Jesus had just been talking about divorce and adultery. That's what he was talking about. While he was talking about this, somebody out there realized that this is a broken child. This is a broken heir. They picked the child up and brought him or her to Christ. And then Christ spoke these words. Broken homes produce broken children. We live in a culture filled with broken homes and I want to say something to you. Now listen carefully. It happens to good people. It happens to fine people. We're not trying to pick on anybody that's been through that. But what we do have to realize is that if you've come from a broken home, you can't be like an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't, that it didn't have any effect. You have to realize the effect of what's happened. You have to respond in course with what has happened. You have to understand what's going on. You don't need medicine. You need a miracle. We don't need the wisdom of books and the wisdom of experience. We need divine intervention. We need God to help us. There was a woman. Had a 14-year-old daughter. And this daughter would fight with her mother at least five times a day. Mom was to the wit's end. She would also fight with her brothers and her sisters anytime there was anywhere near her. In fact, she'd go out of her way in the house to go fight with her brothers and sisters. She was fighting in her classrooms at school. She was failing in her courses. She was smoking pot, drinking alcohol, sleeping with her boyfriend. She's 14 years old. You try to talk to her, she wouldn't listen to nobody. She had it all figured out. She had life figured out. But she would run away, and they'd have to go find her and bring her back. Mom was desperate. Desperate. What do I do with my daughter? So mom comes, and here's the question that was asked to mom. Tell me about your connection ...with your daughter. I don't care about all these things you're telling me about. That's all fruit. I want to know your connection... ...heart-to-heart connection with your daughter. How is that heart-to-heart connection with you and your daughter? Well, Mom thought about it for a minute. She says, well... ...she fights with me every day. We don't have any connection. And he said to her, that's your problem. Your greatest problem is not all the things that your daughter's doing. Your greatest problem... Is your disconnection with your daughter. Mom thought she needed a better way of controlling the girl. But what she needed was connection with the girl. Because disconnection was the culprit. Hear what I'm saying. The Bible says in Isaiah 9:7, There shall be no end of the increase of his government of peace. So peace is a fruit of the kingdom of God. How do we as parents establish the kingdom of heaven in our homes how do we establish connection and peace in our home to answer that question you first have to know or answer another question what is your bottom line what is your bottom line what is the most important issue to you as a parent when you're interacting with your kids what is your most important issue when you interact with your kids? Now, for most parents, the goal of raising their children is to get them to obey. Get them to obey. So parents mean well, and they're trying to get their children to obey them because they're trying to shape and mold their children. They want to teach their children, this is good, this is bad. Don't choose bad, choose good. And so parents do Number one goal is usually to get them to obey, and they'll use words like, just do as I say. You do what I tell you to do. Those are the ter- that's the terminology of a parent trying to get a child to obey. The goal of obedience or compliance is not evil, but it's inferior. It's inferior. Obedience is important. And and, and a relationship with your children. But it is not the most important quality. Here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees came to Jesus one day with a very, very important question. And they wanted to know which was the most important commandment. Lord, of all these commandments, which is the most important? Jesus said in Luke 10, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So basically Christ said, the greatest commandment is love. Now the Pharisees wanted him to answer, obey this one. Because their whole culture was about obedience and compliance. If you were obedient and compliant to this rule, then you got to move up the ladder and you was a better person. So they wanted him to say, obey and command. But Jesus, in one swoop, instead of promoting obedience and compliance, promoted relationship and love. Oh, it's quiet now. He's teaching us the bottom line in the kingdom of heaven is love and relationship. Love and relationship. And if you want to establish the kingdom of heaven in your home, you'll have to start there. You'll have to start with the children at that place. Because if you try to start at the other place, you'll move them into a pharisaical environment of legalism and rules and they will rebel. Amen. So your sixth grader comes home with a report card, and the report card has failing grades in it. Most parents at that moment give attention to the child's lack of compliance. You haven't been studying enough. You haven't been paying attention in class. You haven't been doing this So they they focus that the child did not do what the child was supposed to do. And the child is not in compliance with what parents wish or with what the school expects. So they work on setting their child back into the path of being a good student. And they start off with, first of all, telling the child how disappointed they are. Sometimes they accompany that with marks on the hind end. Or sitting in an isolated room to learn a lesson. And giving their children instructions how to behave better. You're going to come home from school. You're going to go to your room. And you're going to do your homework. Do you hear me? This is where they start. Now there's nothing wrong with parents wanting their children to achieve. But again I tell you that's an inferior goal. It will never reach the heart issue of why the child is not rising. It will never reach that issue. Until a child can learn to manage their freedom from the inside out, they can't manage freedom. And if they can't manage freedom in this world, there's a thing we call jail that will help them. Hear me. I'm trying to help you, parents. You do not tell your children with goals and expectations. Should we have goals and expectations? Sure. Sure. But it's the inferior goal. The ultimate goal is love and relationship and freedom. In the beginning, God created man to be free. There were no constraints on man in the garden. In fact, man and woman ran around stark naked. I'll just let that set in for a minute. What was it that made the garden free? What was it that made the garden a place of freedom? Can I tell you the answer? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's what made the garden free. Because without the knowledge, without the choice, they would have been trapped in paradise prison. They had to have a choice. If you don't have options, you're not free. When you don't have options, you're in prison. Without freedom... You have no choice about your relationships. You're forced into it. Love is not love without a choice. Is this making sense to anybody? Where did God put that tree? Where did he put it? Well, he put it up on Mount Everest, way up in the high snow, because he knew naked people would never climb up there. No, he put it in the middle of the briar patch because he knew naked people would get stuck and they wouldn't go in there. No, actually, the Bible says he put it right smack dab in the middle of the garden with no protection. In fact, it was there wide open for anybody to approach. Because without the freedom to reject God, you cannot choose God. God did not remove all the bad trees from their environment. God did not put them in a place where there was no trouble that could ever happen to them. He did not give them a perfect little environment. He did not create for them the perfect little school that nobody would say anything bad to them. He did not put them in this protected bubble. God introduced to them a tree on purpose. Now let me give you this. Let me help, help you understand something. God had a plan before there was ever a man on earth. The Bible says in Revelation thirteen eight Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God had a plan. It was called Jesus and a cross. And he knew that once his son came and gave his life on that cross, that man would be able to deal with any sin that was, a, that was an issue in his life. He knew that man could win any hand that was dealt to him. So God made a way for us to have a relationship with him no matter what the external circumstances were. At that moment, the enemy of bondage had been overcome. And now he could let his children walk in freedom and learn how to manage their freedom. You have to manage your freedom. Our children, listen to me parents, our children are professional mistake makers. They're professionals, they're best at it. They are in a learning journey. They're learning how far they can go. Learning what they can do. And either they're going to grow in an atmosphere of control or in an atmosphere of freedom. As parents, you either partner with compliance and obedience or with relationship and love. Control is not wrong. Control is not a bad thing. If you're going 100 miles an hour and you're on a mountainous road with a curve that's a 20-mile-an-hour curve, it's good to control your car. Right? Control is not an evil thing. My question today is, parents, how are you going to control your children? Externally or internally? Internally externally or internally first john says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment there it is there's the punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love so as parents our goal is that our children will be raised in an environment where we reduce fear we try to reduce the fear. not not. We don't want to increase fear by, if you don't do it, you'll sit in your room till you rot. I'll beat you mercilessly. You think you've been whooped by your mom. Wait till I get done. See, what do you do when your child disobeys? What do you do when your child looks you square in the face and lies through their teeth and swears they're not? What do you do when your child responds to you in complete disrespect? Love and fear are enemies. You have a choice at that moment. Will you love them or will you become afraid that you're losing control and control them with fear? What will you do at that moment? How will you handle that moment? As parents, I want to challenge you every parent in here, every single mother in here, every every parent in this place, create an atmosphere of love in your home. What most of us are teaching our children is because we're afraid. We're teaching them out of our fear. We're afraid we're losing control. We're afraid this kid's going to get in trouble. And so what we want to do is give them obedience and, and rules and compliance and punishment. We'll teach you. But God did exactly the opposite. God said, no, I want to put you in an environment of love and relationship, and here is the problem if you want it. You're free to go there. Hmm. I want you to hear what I'm saying. When Jesus was ready to ascend up into the heavens, did he send a controller? I'm sending you the controller. You'll never be able to mess up because he'll smack you upside your bald head. The controller is on his way. You just think it's been easy with me here. Wait till he gets here. No, the Bible says Jesus sent the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Now we are shepherding our children's hearts. That's what you're doing, parent. Listen, you are the shepherd of their heart. Their little body that you're trying to control is going to grow up and leave you. What doesn't leave you is their heart. You're shepherding their heart. The heart is always touched by relationship, not behavior. Amen. You're teaching our children, you're teaching your child what freedom looks like. Here is what it is to be free and how to prosper in it. Freedom allows love and kingdom connection. So what is the bottom line in raising your children? Will you go for obedience and compliance a relationship and love. Are you going to operate in the Old Testament paradigm like a Pharisee and command the rules? Everything externally driven? Or will you fall back and begin to believe that God wants to lead through a heart-to-heart relationship? If you win your daughter's heart, if you win your son's heart, they'll listen to you more than they listen to anybody else because you won their heart. They'll respond to you because you've won their heart. We're missing this. This is what we're missing. Jesus himself said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't hinder that child. Let him come to me. Everybody say, let him come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to who? Those little children. Now let me ask you this. How many times have you seen a child, a little child, move in the supernatural in church? In most modern churches, the children are relegated to another section of the building away from all of us. But Jesus said, don't hinder them from coming to me. Because the truth is that the kingdom belongs to the children too. Imagine a world where kids were empowered to operate in the supernatural. What if they were taught that they could operate in freedom Freedom, not being commanded or controlled, in relationship with God, in love with God, what if they were taught they could come into a relationship and they could actually operate in the supernatural with God? What if we taught them how to use the tools of the kingdom to overcome every scheme of the enemy rather than trying to give them rules that they must do their homework? What if they understood the, the power of the future? Am I making you think today or are you just bored? It's our job as adults to empower the little ones because every little kid you saw up there is carrying a breakthrough in their spirit. Every one of these teens, they, they're carrying a breakthrough inside of them. You cannot get it out of them by external measures. It will have to be something that comes from inside. So I want to suggest as I get ready to close today, five supernatural things I believe that we ought to all be teaching our children and our grandchildren five supernatural things. You should be teaching them. Number one, teach them to value dreams. Teach them to value dreams. Now, I'm not talking about uh, a dream of the heart here. Like I, I, I have a, a vision for this. I'm talking about that. That's important. But I'm talking about where they go to bed at night, and they understand there's a supernatural realm. And they start to have dreams. I believe that most creative people and most prophetic people, people that are operating in the supernatural, usually start as night dreamers. God begins to show them things. So when your child wakes up, ask them this question. Instead of saying, are you ready for school? Why don't you start off, get them up a little bit earlier and start off with this question. What did you dream about last night? Did you have any dreams last night? Teach them to be conscious to hear and understand their dreams. And help them to understand that God speaks to people. All through the Bible, God spoke to people through dreams. You can't deny that. It's all over your Bible from the front to the back. God speaks through dreams. And that's where he usually starts with people. So teach them, wow, here's what God might have been saying to you. Teach them how to interpret their dreams. Because if they learn to interpret their dream, it will equip them for a lifetime of being able to walk and hearing in what God is saying to them. Now, if you don't know how to interpret dreams, you need to learn how. You need to learn how. There's lots of ways. Come talk to us. There's a lot of ways. You need to learn to interpret dreams because God usually starts re- bringing his revelation from heaven through dreams. Not always, but m- much of the time. So start with your children teaching them dreams. Number two, expect them to hear from God. This is important because we want our kids to experience the reality of Jesus for themselves. So teach them to hear from God. Start with questions like this. If Jesus walked in the room right now, what would he say to that person? Just point at somebody that they know. What would Jesus say to Bill right now? What would Jesus say to Pastor Nevin right now? Questions like that teach that child to hear from God, that God would speak to him. And it teaches them how to understand what God wants, what God is doing in somebody's life. As time goes on, you ask the next little question, and what else would he say? What would he say right now to Mark? And then when they tell you, say, and what else would he say? And what else would he say? Get them to... Dig a little deeper. Impart inside of them a hunger to know what God would say. Now, parent, you also should know what God would say. Or the kid's going to go, I don't know what. You're going to go, I don't know. Amen. So you have to learn how to do it yourself. Start with yourself. What would God say? What would God say to that person? When you're walking out of church today, look at somebody and say, what would God say to that person? And start teaching yourself what God would say so that you can teach your children and your grandchildren they can hear from God. Number three, include them in ministry. I love watching families minister together. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Amen. No such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God's going to use the children in the last days children carry the same Holy Spirit that adults carry so teach your children how to pray for the sick teach your children how to prophesy I think we should be bringing children up here during the altar work and letting them come and stand there and touch the the people as well I think they ought to be how are they going to learn if they're not put in an environment they need to be out here with everybody else and they need to see and be amazed as God speaks And that little guy grabs my coattail and says, hey, I think God would say, I'm going to listen to him. Because that's how you enter the kingdom. I'm going to listen to what that little booger has to say. I'm going to get down on my knees and look at my eyeball to eyeball because he might have heard from heaven. Might have a word. Number four, expose them to miracles. Expose your children to miracles. Sometimes we protect our children because we want them in an environment that they won't get hurt. We don't want them to experience any pain. So what we do is we, we protect them from the woes of the world. But if you protect your children from understanding that your family is broke, you don't have no money, the mama's sick, daddy's sick, if you protect them from all those things, then what happens is when a miracle happens and God does something to help you, the kid doesn't even know what happened. He didn't know there was a mountain, and he won't know the mountain was removed. He never was invited into the miracle. He never gets to see the miracle happen. If you don't teach your children that God is faithful, then they'll never understand God is faithful as adults. They've never watched the miracle. Invite your children into the miracle. Now I realize you gotta—you don't have to give them all the facts of life. You don't have to tell them all the medical terminology, but you could just say mom doesn't feel well. So that when mom feels well, they know that there was a miracle. Is this making sense to anybody? When God breaks through in a miracle in your family, when something happens, financial needs or physical needs or whatever it might be in your family, and a miracle breaks through, celebrate it with the whole family. Get the little guys out there and have them celebrate with you so they recognize miracles. Number five, and I'm done. Invite angels into their life. I pray for the angelic activity of heaven to be manifest in my children and my grandchildren's lives. Matthew eighteen ten tells us there are angels assigned to each child. Go look it up. Now why is that important? Because angels are ministering spirits sent to minister and help. That child one of these days is going to enter into some kind of a spiritual warfare. And it'd be nice for them to understand how the angelic work around them how God moves in, in warfare and how they how they can win they can have a strategy they need to understand they've been equipped by heaven for whatever comes their way That's right. but if you've never taught them that they just look to you to be their God and their healer you to be their life preserver and you can't do it because you're not Jesus so one of these days when they get to be teenagers they start to realize mom and dad don't have all the answers and so they start listening to their friends and they run off they run off with Billy Bob and long-legged Susie, Amen. Because they make more sense to them at that point. Because you've never taught them the things of the Spirit. Parents, listen to this. I'm, I'm I'm closing. I really am. Second Corinthians five sixteen. From now on, how long? How long? From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So here's what I want to encourage you. Start looking at your kids in a different light. Don't look at them in the flesh. Look at them in the spirit. Look at them in the spirit. Every one of them have a breakthrough. Every one of them have a gift. Every one of them have something that needs to be unlocked. You cannot unlock it by beating it out of them. You can't unlock it by controlling them in in, in obedience and compliance and all that. You'll only unlock it through relationship. Only love can unlock the kingdom of heaven. Love is the culture. So I ask today the Lord to show you and look at your child and see what God has placed inside of them. See what God is doing. Is, it's beyond their, their schools. School is important. Don't get me wrong. We need to know math and English and all that. I, I get it. But but there's something more important in life, how to navigate this thing, because it's getting more and more spiritual. If you're not paying attention, the whole world is aimed at Israel today. There's a lot of spiritual activity going on in the earth right now. There's a lot of stuff. And our kids are innocent little lambs led to the slaughter because they have not had a shepherd a mom and dad shepherding their souls now shepherd your children love your children build relationship with your children start when they're itty bitty so that the, by the time they get up older they'll understand the warfare that they're entering into they'll understand maybe your kids are already up bigger spend more time with them Sp- build a relationship of love because if you break down there and you're not teaching them how to move in the supernatural then you're going to wonder one day what went wrong So I'm trying to help you Single mothers You're a gem, you're precious Life happens to us Some of us have been through divorces It's hard, it hurts We recoil, we rebound, we do all kinds of stuff Listen to me moms, listen to me ladies That man is not your healer He's not your life preserver Christ is I'm not saying we don't want to be married I'm not saying that, but don't get married till you're whole Don't get married till he's whole Amen. Pay attention. Pay attention to their family. Pay attention to their conduct. Pay attention under the surface. Under all the stuff they're showing you. There's a whole lot more there. Pay attention. Pay attention. And God, ask God to guide you. And if God gives you the yellow light, don't run it. You keep running yellow lights, you're going to get T-boned. Only go on green lights. Not a green light because you want it, but a green light because he gave it. He's in control. I've said in a lot of red lights, I wish were green. God's in control of the lights of your spirit. If you don't get a green light, you don't do it. Amen. Everybody in the world told me not to come to Beckley, but I had a green light. You go on green lights. Or you get run into from behind, you go on green lights. So you have to pay attention. Amen. I hope the men are listening as well. Husbands, married people, be careful your homes are being broken and shattered. Guard the environment of that home with love and relationship. Do not let your hobbies, your work, all your other things take precedence. God number one, your marriage number two. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Family Worship Center. If our weekly sermons minister to you, consider partnering with us or giving a one-time donation. To give, visit FWC org/giving. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more by following us on Twitter and Facebook.